This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Psalms 88 says, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves." You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your, your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But, O Lord, I cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like the flood all day long. They close in me, in on me together. You had caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you that you hear our cries, even in our darkest moments, and you do not leave us alone. God, I pray that your words would be spoken this morning, that you would reveal things about who you are, your character, and your love for us, to us, and that even in our darkest moment, we would be reminded that you are good, that you are worthy of our praise, and that you love us. In your name I pray, amen. So as you all know, Mario has started this sermon series about questions that the church, that we as Mosaic Church and the greater church need to answer. So this morning, he has tasked me with talking about the topic of suffering. And uh, this is not a very easy topic to talk about, especially from a pulpit on Sunday. There is a lot involved in this topic. There are literally libraries written about this subject, both from a theological point of view and from a worldly point of view. There are people who have made their entire careers talking about this and dealing with this and fighting suffering in our world, and it seems to have made very little dent. Suffering is something that is universal to the human experience. All these things make it very difficult to talk about. It's also difficult because it deals with very deep and personal things. So my experience with suffering may be very different from your experience of suffering. What I say, what brings me peace about it, might not bring you peace. What brings you peace might not bring me peace. Maybe there is not peace to had. Maybe there is. So it's very hard to talk about, and it is something that has been a topic of conversation surrounding Christianity for as long as Christianity has been around. Jesus talked about it in the Bible. And when he was doing his ministry, Paul talked a lot about it. 
The other books of the Bible talk about it. And opponents of, of Christianity, opponents of God, have used it as an accusation against it, as a way to weaken people's faith forever. I have heard staunch atheists angrily spout out about the suffering in the world, saying, how dare God allow these things? So how do we begin to talk about it? How do we begin to address suffering in a way that is meaningful, but can also assuage some of those doubts, maybe ease some of the hurt? So that's a very hard thing to do. And I think that may be why Mario chose the week that he was going to be gone to talk about this stuff. It's like, I'm going to let somebody else deal with that. Um, So I'm going to try my best this morning. And uh, if something I say sparks a question in you, um, if something brings up a doubt, brings up hurt or pain, um, the conversation doesn't have to end here today. I'm more than willing to talk to you about it in the future. We are uh, using our Wednesday night small group meetings as an opportunity to dive deeper into this topic. So if uh, something comes up this morning that you want to ask more questions, Wednesday night is a place for that. But even more than that, you can come to me. You could come to one of the other elders. I'm sure Rhea would be happy to talk to you as well. Um, if When Mario gets back into town, he'd be happy to talk to you. I'm sure Eric would be willing to talk to you about some stuff, maybe Patrick. There's lots of people in here who w- would be more than happy to help you deal with anything that comes up with that. And that pretty much goes with anything that happens in in the church on a Sunday morning. If you ever have a question about something that happens on a Sunday morning and you're not really sure about it, feel free to talk to the elders, talk to Mario about it. Mario would love to talk to you about it. We would love to talk to you about it. Um, And again, Wednesday nights are a good opportunity for those kinds of conversations too. Uh, Just so you know, that door is always open to you. But let's get back to suffering. So I told you that I've heard opponents of Christianity use suffering as an accusation against Christianity, against how it could be truthful. So let's talk about, um, actually, sorry, I want to go back one more time. In my research on suffering, I used two sources. There's, I told you there's lots of sources. Uh, and one of those is a book by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain. Uh, it's a fairly short book, but it has a lot of good information in it. I think there's a slide that has those up on it. Um, should probably back one. Um, but anyway, uh, also, I listened to several podcasts by N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright's a, a current living Christian writer and thinker. Um, those are both good sources for you to look to, and I can give you more information about those sources if you need them. Um, but I wanted to let you know sort of where I was drawing my information from so you were uh, not confused about that. But let's, all right, so let's talk about the question of suffering. What is the question surrounding suffering? What is the accusation that I've heard made so many times against Christianity? And that is, often you will hear something around, the, something like this. If God is both good and omnipotent, and you notice I put both of those words in quotation mark. If God is both good and God is omnipotent, why does he allow suffering? Sometimes you might only hear one of those things. Why would a good God allow people to experience pain? Why would a God that claims to love us allow us to hurt? 
Or maybe you would hear someone say, why, how can an all-powerful God not stop these things? Why would an all-powerful God not be able to stop a hurricane or a flood or a tornado or a pandemic? You maybe have heard those questions brought up. And when we look at this question, there's some basic assumptions that people are making whenever they ask this question. One of those assumptions is that suffering is wrong and therefore should be removed from the human experience. Suffering equals bad. Bad should not be allowed to happen. Another basic assumption is if God is omnipotent, he can prevent all suffering. That's what omnipotence means, right? If he's all-powerful, he can make whatever he wants happen. So therefore, if suffering has happened, God has allowed it to happen, right? Secondly, or thirdly, the last basic assumption that is made in that argument is if, if God is good, then he will prevent suffering. So if God is good, if he is loving, then he will not allow us to hurt or to experience pain or disasters to happen or whatever. These are basic assumptions that are being made when that question is asked. And then there's a conclusion drawn based on those assumptions. And that conclusion is suffering exists in the world, therefore God cannot be both good and omnipotent. And Christianity claims that he is both, thus Christianity must be false. So this is the argument that opponents of Christianity use around suffering. They say, hey, all this bad stuff's happening in the world. You say God's good, and you say he's all-powerful, but he's letting all this bad stuff happen, so those things can't be true, so you must be wrong. That can be a difficult argument to face. Right? Because it's undeniable that suffering happens in the world. And you probably would think, well, if I could stop it, I would, right? If I had, if I could snap my fingers and make all pain disappear, I would. So why, wouldn't, why doesn't God do that? So that can be a difficult thing to argue against. But if we're going to dive deeper into this subject, we need to talk more about what suffering actually is. So let's try to define suffering. So if you look up in Webster's or whatever dictionary you have, you're probably going to see something like suffering is the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. It's a pretty basic definition, but I want to go even more basic, one step more basic. And I'm going to call suffering existing in a state different than that which is desired. So I am going to call anything that is different from the state that I want to be in as me suffering. And I, I, the reason I go that basic is because I think the people that are making arguments about suffering are also going that basic. They think that God is a magical candy dispenser and will just give them whatever they want. That their view of how the world should be is the right view, and therefore God must make the world reflect their view. Let's also talk about what different, some different kinds of suffering. So there's three different types of suffering I've identified. There's something I'm going to call coincidental suffering. This is suffering that is caused by events or forces outside of our understanding or our control. So this would be things like weather phenomena, uh, accidents, random events, rock slides, things like that. 
Things that you can't predict, you can't control, you couldn't stop even if you knew they were going to happen. That's coincidental suffering. And then there's something that I'm going to call consequential suffering. So this is suffering that happens as a result of a person's actions, but they were unintentional or unaware, or perhaps their inaction, their action or inaction that they cause unwittingly. So if you want to talk in legal terms, this would be something that happens without mens rea, right? That means without the will to commit something wrong. And uh, I'm looking at the lawyers in the crowd to make sure that I'm describing that correctly. Uh, so then a third type of suffering that I am, have identified is something I'm going to call victimhood. So victimhood is suffering that's due to willful action or malfeasance. Someone intentionally causes you pain. Someone intentionally causes you suffering. So it's kind of important to know what kind of suffering we're talking about when we're talking about why that happens. Because if you say, let's say your car is broken into or something like that, can you really pin that action on God? Can you really pin that because somebody else chose to do that, right? So, but then again, say you're walking down the road and a rock falls off a mountain and crushes you. Would you pin that on God? You, you can't pin that on another human being. So, okay, maybe God made that one happen, right? Maybe he didn't. So we need to know what kind of suffering we're talking about. So let me illustrate those three types of suffering uh, using the example of Sir Isaac Newton sitting underneath the apple tree. It's a famous legend, right? So the story as told, he sits under the tree, an apple falls on his head, hits him in the head, causes him pain, right? He realizes what gravity is from that. The story as told, that's coincidental suffering. Nobody caused that apple to fall on him. It just happened to happen. Uh, another one, let's say he sits under the tree, somebody sits down on the tree next to him, but he shakes the tree as he's sitting down, that causes the apple to fall. That person had no intention of causing that apple to fall, right? But it still caused Sir Isaac Newton pain. Third type of suffering, somebody sees him sitting underneath the tree, they come up and intentionally shake it until that apple falls down and causes his head, right? So that's victimhood, right? That's the third handle. So those are the three types of suffering we want to talk about today. Um, hopefully that makes sense to you guys. So let's talk about why we suffer, right? So there's some things that ha are take place in our world that causes suffering, right? And one of those things is sin. Sin exists in the world, and sin causes suffering. The wages of sin are death, is what the Bible tells us, right? Death is certainly kind of suffering. I think we could all agree on. Um, I don't want to get too far into theological woods here, but you could make the argument that all suffering in the world is due to sin. You know, if we take the Genesis story, it says that Adam and Eve existed in paradise. And then they fell, and that's when pain and suffering entered the world. And that's, that works on a level of inside this room, right? We all come here with the same understanding of belief in the Bible. We all come in here um, with the understanding that God created the world. And so if I tell you from the pulpit that Adam and Eve sinned, that's what caused suffering, you probably would accept that. But I want to deal with this subject in such a way that we can also talk to people that don't believe that. 
And so if you talk to someone on the street who's an atheist or a Buddhist or a Hinduist or agnostic or Muslim or you know, whatever, pagan, struggling to think of other worldviews, they might not accept the Adam and Eve story. So they would look at you, well, you think because some naked people in the woods thousands of years ago ate a fruit they weren't supposed to, now my grandma's got cancer? That doesn't make sense. So what other things, what are some other reasons why we might experience suffering? One of those is free will, right? We've talked about two kinds of suffering that are direct results of other people's actions. And those are a consequence of having free will. They made a choice whether they meant to or not, and that resulted in somebody's suffering. So you can't have free will and not have at least the potential of suffering, because it doesn't make any sense. You have a choice between two things. You've got to choose one. One of them is going to be not the desired one, right? Whatever my choice is, let's say, you know, we go downstairs, there's, everybody's had cake except me and Eric. There's one piece of cake left, and I choose to eat that and not let him have it. He suffers because he didn't get the cake based on my free will choice, you know, right? So the, fear, the mere fact that we as human beings have free will opens the door for the potentiality of suffering. Again, that doesn't quite do it for some people, you know? I think some people aren't going to quite accept that as, okay, what about hurricanes? What about parasites? What about cancer? What about, you know, people getting struck by lightning or whatever? So that really, free will only deals with two kinds of suffering, the ones that result from other people's actions. Um, so what about that last one? How do we talk about that? So, again, what I'm going to tell you is not going to totally get there, but one thing that I think suffering does in humans is it drives us to growth and redemption. What do I mean by that? Growth. So, a lot of us have kids. Some of our kids are learning to walk. That's a part of their human growth, right? Part of how they learn is by falling by hitting their head, by landing on their bottom, by experiencing pain, that teaches them, hey, don't do it this way, do it that way. And so that suffering, and you know, even more than just pain, it's hard, it's frustrating to try to learn something new, and that suffering, and that suffering teaches us how to become better people, become stronger people, to become more capable people, from something as simple as walking to something as complicated as calculus and higher maths. Everything involves suffering. If you've ever done anything great in your life, you will detest that you had to suffer to do it, right? If you've ever tried to lose weight, if you've ever tried to get healthier, if you ever tried to make a friend when you had none, if you ever tried to make up with somebody that you were in a fight with, you can attest that you suffered through those activities. And that suffering is part of what makes us better people, stronger people, what makes the whole human race better. Why are there storms? Maybe it's because God wanted society to develop and you can't have society without buildings. 
without common communal living spaces. Maybe that doesn't do it for you, but it hopefully gets the gears turning. Say, okay, I can see a world where this makes sense. And redemption. We're going to talk about redemption more in a few minutes, but I kind of alluded to it. If you've ever hurt someone, if you've ever offended someone, you might have to do something to atone. Even if it's so much as admitting it, I can tell you from personal experience, just admitting it can cause some internal suffering. Hey, I hurt you and I'm sorry. But you know what else it does? It breeds intimacy. That communal suffering breeds intimacy between you and that other person. Getting over whatever that divide was between you creates intimacy between you and the other person. I remember when I was in college, I went on a mission trip with Chi Alpha, and the leader of the mission trip was a guy named Jeremy Bruce. And I thought we, he and I were friends. You know, we're really, we were more just acquaintances. We saw each other on Thursdays, maybe the occasional Wednesday or whatever. Uh, and I wasn't the greatest participant during that mission trip. I back then thought I was funny and liked to make jokes, and sometimes those jokes came at the cost of other people. And by the end of it, Jeremy had had enough. We were, it was over spring break, we were there at a week, and he pulled me aside and he said, I never want to go on another mission trip with you again. You're, <laughs> Ria's back there laughing. <laughs> I think you have a terrible attitude. And I had no idea that he was mad at me. But I could see it after he said it. I said, oh, okay, I can see where he would feel that way. And so a few days went by, and I called him up, and I said, Jeremy, I'd like to have some time to talk to you. Um, and he agreed, and he asked another person on staff, his name was Ken Villardi at the time, to join us. And I just went to him, and I said, Jeremy, you were right. I'm sorry. Apologize. Um, please forgive me. And he did. And he also said that he overreacted. And I thought, OK, that makes me feel a little bit better. But that was a suffering situation. He suffered. I suffered. But in the end, we were closer friends. And I learned a valuable lesson about myself. And redemption happened. So how do we deal with the problem of suffering when we're talking about, when we're talking to somebody who doesn't believe in God? How do we deal with it? And that's a tough question. So if someone says, how can an omnipotent, all-powerful God not stop suffering? You can say something like, maybe he doesn't stop suffering because he knows it's better for us. How can a loving God not stop suffering? Maybe it's because for the same reason that your parents didn't stop you from suffering when you were a child and you fell down when you were trying to walk. Because if they always held your hand, you would have never learned to walk by yourself. You would have never been capable. If your parents allowed you to grow up in a, a world of foam and trampolines and never experience pain, you would not be prepared for the world. And maybe that's how a loving God can allow you to experience pain. Let's go one step deeper. Maybe a better question to ask than why does God allow suffering 
is to ask, why does God allow himself to suffer? Why does God allow himself to suffer? Why would an all-powerful God who can make the universe do whatever he wants allow himself to suffer? And God has suffered. God continues to suffer. The Bible tells us that every time we sin, God feels that pain in his heart. I've got a picture of Jesus up there. And if you think that Jesus did what he did without suffering, you are very confused about what you think that Jesus did. But before we get to that story, let's talk about a story in John 11, verses 32 through 37. I think this will sort of get some of the balls rolling, some of the gears turning. And this is the story of Lazarus. You've probably heard it, I'm sure. And John 11, verse 32 through 37 says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had, ever, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Greatly troubled, suffering, same thing, right? Jesus suffered with them. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. That might be one of the most famous verses in the Bible, mostly because it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. I remember in uh, Christian school growing up, people were always, do you know what the shortest verse in the Bible was? Oh yeah, it's Jesus wept. But that verse, it's two words, but it says more about who Jesus was, who God is, than perhaps any other two words in the Bible. So it says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said to him, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So there's the question right there. The same question we've been talking about all morning, how could Jesus let Lazarus suffer death? How could Jesus let Mary and Martha suffer the pain of their brother's death? The Jews were asking it then. And I want to go back to that phrase, Jesus wept. Because the Jews think Jesus is weeping because of the loss of Lazarus. But I don't think Jesus is weeping over Lazarus. I think Jesus is weeping over the pain of Mary and Martha. He has compassion for those two sisters because he knows about the pain that they are going through. And we could sit here and argue about why Jesus let Lazarus die. If you read a few verses before what I read, it will tell you that Jesus was in another town. Bethany's kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem, and Jesus was a few miles away, less than a day's walk, I believe. Jesus could have come right away. Someone came to him and said, hey, Lazarus is sick and dying. Can you come? And the Bible says he waited two days. We could argue about why Jesus waited those two days, but it's pointless. It's meaningless. It doesn't matter because what matters is that Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Because Jesus knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He could have said, Mary, just watch this. Dry your tears. Come watch this. But he didn't. 
He valued their suffering. He had compassion for them. Even though he knew their suffering was going to end in a matter of moments, he still felt their pain. So when we ask, why does God allow suffering? Remember this verse, because God doesn't just allow suffering, he suffers with us. Everything I've told you so far this morning has been fairly academic. You know, I'm talking about things in the abstract. So let's, let me try to make it personal. How do we confront suffering in our own lives? Because we're all going to experience suffering, right? And when we go through those moments, we will ask that question. We will ask this question, why? Why did you let me go through this? As I was preparing for this sermon this morning, I remembered a comedian, a Christian comedian and recording artist that I used to listen to a lot when I was younger. His name is Mark Lowry. He, was, he sang with the Bill Gaither vocal band. Some of you older guys might be more familiar with that. Um, and he also had his own career as a singer and comedian. He would, do, he would tour with them sometimes, and he would tour on his own. And in one of his albums, he tells this story about when he was in college, and he and three of his friends had created their own evangelistic team, and they would go out on weekends between their classes and travel as far as they could drive in one night and hold rallies, hold revivals. And, and tend them, and he would sing, his other friend played the piano, his other friend um, pre preached, and their fourth friend drove. They had this van that they had custom built for this, so it held their gear and had a place for them to sleep in the back, and so while the three that were doing the evangelism were sleeping, the fourth guy drove them to whatever their event was. So one time when they're on, this, on the road to one of these events, uh, it's late at night, and uh, the three evangelists, let's call them, were sleeping in the back. And he says the fourth guy was asleep at the wheel. And they get into a car accident. Uh, one of them ended up in a coma. Mark Lowry ended up with 11 broken bones. Um, one of them was just beaten up badly. And uh, I don't think, I don't even know what happened to the driver, honestly. Um, and it basically broke up their evangelistic team over that event. And he talks about how over the years in his career, people would ask him why he thought God let that happen. And so he would ask God, why do you let that happen? And one day it occurred to him, he's asking God, why did you let that accident happen? And the answer was that accident happened because your friend fell asleep at the wheel. It's not a very, there's not a whole lot of meaning, right? But that answer, the simplicity of that answer changed his life. Why did that bad thing happen? Because the circumstances aligned for that bad thing to happen. The meaning in suffering is not the reason for it, but what the suffering causes. It changed Mark Lowry's life. It made him a more empathetic person. It made him a greater servant to the people in his lives. He had already committed to making his life a, a, a servant to God, but it made him realize that he needed to be a servant to other people, right? 
let's look at what the Bible tells us about suffering and what we should do in the face of suffering. So let's look at James 1, verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and four, through 4. What does James tell us? He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it joy when you suffer. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this is a very tough verse to grapple with because what it tells you is that whenever you suffer, you should feel joyous about it. When you are in pain, you should be happy. And that's not sadomasochistic. You should recognize that God is working you on you through your pain to make you into the person that he wants you to be. And that should bring you joy. That God is working with you. Let's look at Romans 8. Uh, verses 18 through 25, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. So what is Paul telling us? Paul is telling us that suffering has been part of the world since the beginning, that all of creation has been suffering in these pains of childbirth. What is he saying? He's saying that God is working in creation towards a goal, towards an end, and suffering is working towards that. So if you're looking for your meaning of suffering, it may not be that there is an individualized meaning for your suffering, but all things are working towards God's end game towards God's final goal of creation. And when we are in those moments of suffering, what we have is hope. God has given us hope. He says, if you have hope, that means you don't have whatever it is that you want yet, but that hope is the sustaining force that gets you there. So if you are feeling hopeless, should have hope because we can hope for what we don't have yet. We can get somewhere better. We can be redeemed. We can grow. We can be healed. The suffering at some point will come to an end. And that's where he says at the beginning that this current suffering, as bad as it is, will not be as, will be pale in comparison to how good the good is of what God does in the end game. Um, I told you I use N.T. Wright podcasts for while I was preparing for this. Something he said in one of those is that we should not ask what caused this, but what is God now going to do with this? So we shouldn't ask, why am I suffering, but what does God want to bring about because of my suffering? Maybe that's something inside of you. 
Maybe that's something external in the world. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of charitable organizations of things that have made the world a better place that were formed and founded because somebody suffered and they decided they didn't want somebody to go through the suffering that they went through. So they took every resource they had and they put it towards ending that suffering. So don't ask, why am I suffering? Or at least don't stop at that question. But ask, what is God going to bring about because of that suffering? We read on in Romans 8, um, verse 28. There's another famous verse. And um, I'm going to read it out of uh, a specific version, this New Revised Standard Version. I think that's what I have up on the slide. But your Bible might have the wording slightly different. And that says, we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So your Bible might say something like, God works everything for good of those. But this version says the good with those. And again, I'm pulling this from what N.T. Wright said in a podcast. In the Greek, the verb that is right there is a verb that means working together, working with. Combined. It's not an individual. It's not, so it's not God operating on a patient. It's, it's more like the physical therapy side of things. God is working with us to bring about good. So when we suffer, and a lot of times this verse is brought up whenever you suffer. I'm sure when you've gone through a hard time, somebody's probably brought up Romans 8.28 and said, God works everything for your good. And let's tweak that a little bit. It's not that God works it out for your good because that doesn't always ring true to us, I think, in our spirit. Like, someday I'm going to look back and be thankful for this moment. And eh, maybe. God is working with you to bring good into that situation has a very different meaning. We're not spectators in that process. We're not just sitting back and allowing things to happen, but God is empowering us to bring them about. And if you have ever gone through suffering, one thing you can probably attest to is that you feel powerless. God is not about making you powerless. God is about empowering you And even if that empowerment is just for survival in the moment, God is working with you to bring good into that situation. God worked with the human beings in the story of Jesus to bring good back into the world, right? Man fell, evil entered the world, suffering entered the world, but through Jesus and the other people in that story, God worked with them to bring about that good. So what are we going to do about suffering? As a church, as an individual, what should we do about suffering? So there's three things I want you to do. First is take responsibility. And I want to be careful about this because I'm not saying to take responsibility for your suffering. So some of the suffering we go through is our own fault, right? That situation with Jeremy that I described earlier, that was my fault. I was being a jerk and I deserved it. But that's not what I'm talking about. Some suffering happens at no cost to you. And if you are experiencing victimhood, there's no victim blaming coming from this pulpit here. That's not your fault. But what you can take responsibility for is your recovery, 
you can take steps to not wallow in whatever you, is going on in your life. And you can take responsibility for the suffering of others. So that's really what I want you to do. If you see suffering in the world, take responsibility. And this can be a very daunting task, right? Let's just take world hunger for, us, for example. There's no way any one individual in this room can solve that, right? So I'm not saying, hey, feel responsible for all those people that are starving out in the world, but you can take responsibility for one person. Years ago at Mosaic, we had an organization come in that's called Feed One, and that's their slogan, feed one person. You can give 10 bucks a month and it feeds one person. It will end hunger for one person. And maybe that's something that's a responsibility that you can take on. Maybe your neighbor next door is suffering and you can take responsibility for helping them through their suffering. There are people in the church, like Lavella mentioned over there earlier, who are going through a hard time right now. Some are facing life-altering diseases. Some are facing mental health crises. Some are facing a little bit, they've taken on a little bit more than they can handle, and it's causing suffering in their lives. And you can help them. You just open your eyes and say, hey, God, what's something I can do to help minimize the suffering of somebody around me. So that leads me to my next thing that I want you to do, and that's to show compassion. What did Jesus do with Mary and Martha? More than raising Lazarus from the dead, it is more meaningful to me than raising Lazarus from the dead that Jesus cried with them. Because he didn't have to do that. He knew their suffering was going to end, but he still felt compassion for them. Show compassion to the people in your life who are suffering. And that might be listening. That might be bringing them a meal out of the blue. That might be helping them change a tire. That might just be being available. Just show them compassion. You can let them take the first step and say, hey, I need this. And when they do, you rush in and you help them. And the last thing that I think we can do, and this is why I started this sermon with Psalms, that Psalm in Psalms 88 is some, written by someone, from the perspective of someone who is suffering deeply, suffering something that isn't their fault, suffering that they have no power to change, it's outside of their understanding, outside of their control, and if you read it, it makes them, they are the victim of uh, some abuse from other people in their lives. But what do they do? They cry out to God. So when you undergo suffering, when you see suffering in the world, no matter what else you do, one thing you can always do is to cry out to God. And God will answer. I believe that fully. It might not be the answer we want. It might not be in a form that we recognize right away. But God will answer. And it might be as a directive. Okay, what are you going to do about it? But he will answer if we simply cry out to God. So that's where I'm going to end today. We all undergo suffering. 
and we may not always find a reason for that suffering. But if we trust God, God can work good with us through that suffering. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you once again that you do not turn your back on us, that even though suffering exists in this world, we know that you are still a loving God, that you are all-powerful God, and that you are working with us to bring about good in this world, to bring about change for your kingdom, to bring to fruition your ultimate plan, your ultimate goal, Lord. And I pray that you would allow us to be a part of that and you would reveal to us the pathways that you have made for us to do that, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.